on this episode of The James Quandall Show. So it can be some level of culture shock when you throw yourself into a kind of new environment, then there's so much opportunity for growth. And it's important for James and for so many other people not to be too fixated on reading and just take even the competition as a learning experience to, to keep improving. Eric Rosen is an international chess master. He graduated from Webster in 2017 with a BA in interactive digital media. Eric focused on teaching chess and on a number of creative freelance projects, all while traveling the world and competing in chess tournaments. In 2017, he established a Twitch channel and began creating more regular content for his YouTube channel. In 2018, Eric unknowingly defeated world champion Magnus Carlsen in the Lee Chess Titled Arena, which went viral on Reddit. Since then, Eric's YouTube and Twitch channels took off, growing to almost 500,000 subscribers on YouTube and more than 175,000 on Twitch. Eric has interest in tennis, Scrabble, photography, ping pong, hacky sack, bowling, and a game called GeoGuessr. The eternal debate of is chess a sport and are chess players athletes? That, what's your answer to that? Yeah, it's definitely not the traditional sport of uh, of like a physical duel. Um, like it's all it's all mental, but there's there's always going to be the um, close crossover between the mental and physical side, regardless of the endeavor, whether it's uh, whether it's chess or something more mainstream like tennis or or football. Yeah, you have to pay attention to get kind of both aspects and. I think like sleep, uh, exercise, diet is so important to uh, like be in peak, peak mental and physical form, um, especially in these grueling chess games. Like um, my games were averaging probably four to five hours. Like I had some really long, like end game grinds and or two games per day too. So it was tough. Yeah. So in uh, I think it was twenty seventeen, I ran in the Chicago Marathon. And to the listener, don't mm. look it up. It was not an impressive finish time. It was like five hours or something like that. Like, think of the training, physical training that people put in to run a marathon and to spend five hours moving. And mm-hmm. basically, I was able to just turn my brain off. It, there wasn't really thinking involved. It was just running. But I'm, I can't imagine what four hours, four and a half hours where on a chessboard, and not everyone listening maybe knows much about chess, but no matter how good you are, one bad move. And it can all be over at any time against anyone. Yep. And then this is a cruel thing. Like you can play, you can play 40 of the best moves and then make one blunder and you lose. It can be very emotional too. If you lose a tough game and there, there is one game in my Vegas event, uh, where I, I was absolutely crushing. I had played actually a masterpiece, like used a lot of obscure ideas, got a winning position against a strong grandmaster. Um, and I got a situation where I saw the winning move. There was only one winning move. I didn't play it. And then, then I made a few other blunders and wound up losing. Um, so it's, it's tough to like keep your composure after a game like that and then have to move on to, to play the next games. But that's kind of part, part of chess. And I've learned the hard way many times over the years to kind of try and bounce back after a loss. And one of the things I wish I did better before going into this Vegas event was, was train a bit more like chess wise, like kind of warm up with, uh, with, with exercises, but then also focus on like my physical and, um, physical stamina and sleep. Cause, um, I only decided to play an event the day before it started. So I, I went in with very little preparation. How do you prepare for an event like that physically? Is it only just over the board play, like long games, or is there other ways to prepare just like for the physical strain of chess? There's different things you can do. Um, I mean, for me, it's been tough over this last year because like so many things have been <laughs> different in the world. I guess before the pandemic, I would go to Orange Theory few times a week, um, which is like a group workout program similar to CrossFit, um, which is great because I schedule the meetings ahead of time and then I'm held accountable to show up and and train. It's usually like a dozen or a couple dozen people. So I just started getting back into that this week. I, I've gone the last two days. I have another session in about a couple hours from now. That's had some impact on my energy levels. Like the first day was really tough, but today I feel I'm feeling more energized and a little bit sore, but I think doing these regular like workouts 
And then going into playing a, a chess tournament, I'll just be more, more awake, more sharp. It can have an impact, especially in all these longer, like four to five hour chess games. What are some tactics that to bounce back from a loss? Like with knowing mm-hmm. it's not like you get to go home and just pine over it. You have to get back your head in the game or you will lose the next game too. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, it's, it's especially tough when playing an event and there's like games back to back, like two games in one day, because then there's real, very little time to recover. A lot of it is, first of all, kind of staying strong mentally and understanding that every loss is an opportunity to learn. Um, and this might sound cliche, but um, a lot of people, especially kids, and I, I was the same way when I was much younger, is I would just get upset, like just tell myself, oh, I'm so bad at chess. I made all these blunders. But over time, like as I matured after a loss, I've, I've kind of took a, a more uh, more mature approach of, of trying to investigate why exactly I lost, not only what my mistakes were, but why exactly I made those mistakes. And some of it had like for my last tournament, some of it had to do with kind of my uh, my my tactical sharpness, like not not doing enough tactics beforehand to see things quickly. Part of it was time management and like lack of confidence because I hadn't played in so long. I was uh, not as confident as I would normally be if I was playing um, more regular events. So when you, when you really try and dig in to your mistakes and the reasons behind the mistakes, then you can get more benefit from the losses. It, it can actually make you feel better too, because then you you realize what you need to do to be better and um, what step what steps you need to take to improve. And I think this process can be an immediate process, like as soon as the game's over, or is it you you in your head flip the board and then go back to your room and calm down and then you review the game it happens gradually um i'd say like right after a game i I just need an hour to cool down (laughs) like not even especially if it's a tough loss not even think about it and in, in a tournament like the one i played in it's a tough schedule so i had to focus on just getting food between like before the next game getting rest preparing for my next opponent but in the back of my mind I, i'm always trying to think okay what could i what could i have done to improve and then especially like after the event is over i'll take time to really dig into my uh my games and, and annotate them and, and reflect on on what i can do better next time mm-hmm. and then like kind of the flip side of that this is this is sort of a this show we talk about physical health, mental health, and 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 spirituality. And mm-hmm. a lot of times when you're trying to create new habits and you have goals, like it takes a long time to get there. Uh, like celebrating small victories. Like how about like the opposite? You win a game and but then you still have, you know, five more games in this tournament. How do you celebrate that win? but then get your head in the game for that next one and not get too confident? Yeah, that's a good question. I usually don't try and celebrate too much after wins, especially during an event. I usually try and remain like stoic and neutral and just kind of, regardless of the result, take away some some lessons from every game I play. Because even though wins are not perfect games and there there's still opportunities to learn like how I could have improved, wh- what I could have done better to maybe win quicker. Well, another part of it is not, being so focused on the results, but more focused on the process. So like rather than setting a goal to let's say win X number of games or gain X number of rating or try and win prize money, I just try and focus the, uh, the study goals or the um, goals that I can achieve without being result oriented. So some of this is just getting like being able to get eight hours of sleep before the, the next day of competition or, um, taking naps, like even taking 20 to 30 minute naps between games. Um, these are very, um, very accomplishable goals that can make a big difference um, that are not solely focused on how you you compete over the board, but more kind of between play. And then there's a preparation goals too. Um, like for my next event, I want, want to take it more seriously. So I'll make goals to like study X number of tactics leading up to the tournament, um, really focus on my my opening repertoire and do training sessions with, uh, with training partners, maybe even get a coach. So another quote uh, that I like is, is you focus on the journey rather than the final destination. Absolutely. It's hard when you're struggling on the journey and you don't feel like things are getting better to like keep going. And I think that's people 
myself included, I like I give up right before maybe it would have been successful if I would have stuck with it. But how, mm-hmm. how do you take a 20 or 30 minute nap in the middle of a, an event like this that's high stress, high pressure? Like, how do you wind down quick enough to get into a nap? It's tough. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit I probably only managed a few naps like during the event um, just because like my brain is it's constantly going and going and going, like a, especially after chess game, I'm just kind of replaying the, the, the moves and positions in my mind. But um, uh, the, the so-called naps are they, they can still involve just laying down and um, even trying to meditate. Um, that's something I'm trying to get into more, especially these days. There's one meditation app I've been using more more often recently. Is um, what's it called? Waking Up by Sam Harris. Um, there's other ones I've used over the years, like Headspace. Um, but sometimes just kind of getting in that zone where you're you're just doing nothing for ten minutes, focusing on your breath, that can really help clear the mind. Absolutely, yeah. When if there's ever a time I can't fall asleep or I just don't want to get out of bed yet. Just laying there, not sleeping, but just laying there, not moving at all. It's it, to me, it's just as restful as actually being asleep. And sometimes, it's 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 remarkable how many good ideas and different types of things will come up in those sort of naps where mm-hmm. you aren't forcing yourself to do anything. You're not forcing yourself to think or come up with a plan or to do anything. Um, it's kind of like how you know so many people come up with their best business ideas while they're in the shower or while they're driving in the car because they aren't doing anything else when they're doing those two activities. So they, their brain is just primed for, for ideas. But I feel like we could talk about chess for an entire <laughs> episode. But what I really, and we probably will talk more about it. I, just, I love chess so much. But for sure, I really want to <laughs> know about, I mean, congratulations to you, Eric. You've built a business around a hobby and passion that you've been building for 20 years you've been playing chess i think this year it's like your 20 year chess anniversary that's true yeah 20 years in june i uh i i learned how to move the pieces back in uh june 2001 so what you're saying is is you're an overnight 20 year success yeah there were some uh some roadblocks along the way but uh it's it's crazy how how quickly time flies by and like how so many things change even month to month, year to year. But uh, I'm super grateful to be in a spot of uh, doing what I love and making a career out of it. So what do, what do you tell people if they come up to you and they say, "Oh, this is like the this is like the question I just don't like answering." It's, "Oh, what do you do? What do you do for a living?" Yeah, this is a, a tough question to answer, especially to people who are not familiar with the chess space or the just content creation, like influencer ecosystem. Now, I used to say that I'm just a chess coach. Like during college, that was my main side job of, of just giving private chess lessons. I did some freelance work, like freelance web design, photography. But these days, like things have changed a lot. Like I'm almost coaching not at all these days and focusing primarily on live streaming on Twitch and YouTube. And, and with those kind of two platforms, there's a lot of different revenue streams. I'll sometimes mix up, like give different answers to different people, depending on. Tell me some of the answers. I got to hear them. And then I'll tell you some of the ones I've used. Sure. So one, one I like to, to use is, oh, I just play chess and broadcast it to my broadcast it to the, the world online. And then people just give me money. Yeah. Um, so another way is like comparing it to, to Patreon where like on Twitch, people pay like $5 a month to support me. And I put out all my, almost all my content for free, I guess to get into the nitty gritty, a lot of it is, is having like, having a, a loyal and engaged audience, like a lot of just chess fans from all over the world who will watch my videos. And then then there's a different revenue streams between subscriptions on Twitch, donations, ad revenue on YouTube, been doing some more sponsorships lately. I launched merch a couple months ago. It's a business with many different pillars and it's it's hard to explain especially to my grandma. Like I've, I've tried explaining this to my grandma many times and it helps to actually show some examples of like my, my video content online. I think that is the last people to truly understand what you're doing is family. Like my family, 
still has no clue what I do. I think they think I just sit at home all day and I just take a lot of walks and I read and I like I write on my blog, but I, I don't think they truly know. It's like what you said. There's a whole bunch of little uh, spokes on the wheel of how I actually make a living, but really I just make a living by just doing what I like and, and that's reading and writing and talking to people and helping businesses and it's kind of similar to you. And actually there for a while, I just got tired of trying to explain what I did. And I just started telling people I was a farmer because they just didn't ask me any more questions. And at the time I was like volunteering on this small family farm once a week. And I'm like, I'm just, I'm a farmer. And they're like, Oh, that's cool. Okay. What do you grow? And they understood what that was. But when I was like, Oh, I'm a, I'm like an Amazon consultant. Oh, what's that? And they just it was just strange but you have to explain it every time yeah I, I have a very clear memory when i was in in like primary school so I, I was like under the age of 10 remember one of my teachers saying that when you grow up you're gonna have a job that doesn't exist today yeah and that teacher was very right like yeah. the, the job of chess streamer online influencer just it was hard to conceptualize before maybe just a couple of years ago there mm-hmm. maybe at one time would be like less than 10 people who like made a good living from chess. Like most people who liked chess also had to have another job and they would coach on the side. Like the best and the best in the world would get prize money and sponsors and potentially be backed by their country or by some people. But the most of the rest of the players made no money from chess at all. Would you agree with that? Definitely. Yeah. So much has changed over the last even like decade or even last two, three years with the whole like boom between COVID, Queen's Gambit, and so many more opportunities online. A lot of a lot of big sponsors getting into chess, esport organizations. Um, there's all these like smaller chess companies popping up, and of course, some major ch- chess platforms between chess.com, the whole play Magnus ecosystem. Uh, leechess.org, which is amazing open source platform. So it's much easier these days to be a chess professional. It's still hard to make a living solely by playing, but there are becoming more opportunities for, for high-level players and much easier these days to coach online with just giving online lessons, put up a coaching listing, and then... Then there's so many other things too, between like chess commentary, of course, like chess streaming, doing online chess courses. So it's it's a great time to uh, to be a chess player. Where do you think we are in the development of this chess enterprise? Are we only at the very beginning of it, or are we near the end? Or what do you see for the growth or the future of the industry? Yeah, it's hard to say. I think we're still in the early days of what's possible like chess has experienced so much growth over just the last year that it's hard to predict exactly what will happen going forward but there's it's definitely reached the tension of mainstream and um yeah it's it is hard to predict whether if if this is just like a fad that will die down after a couple years and then only people who are like truly dedicated to it will stick around or if it's going to be something bigger. I, I definitely hope for the latter. And it seems like there's lots of investments between chess players and people outside the ecosystem looking to get in. So yeah, it's definitely an exciting time. And I mean, chess has stood the test of time. Like it's a almost like 2000 year old board game. So it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. The game won't go away. And it seems just from the queen's gambit, I have this idea where there's like, there's before queen's gambit and after queen's gambit. And, Mm -hmm. and like we, every other week I play chess in a park in my town. We have a little club and so many people now walk by and they're like, Queen's Gambit. Oh, that's awesome. And we're like, yeah, come on, come play. And then, oh, I'm not any good. And we're like, it doesn't matter. Like, we're just having fun. And we actually used to play hidden in this back room inside the library. And mm. then when COVID happened, we're like, okay, the library closed. We couldn't do that anymore. And we just said, let's just start playing outside. And we're in a region where you can, it's warm enough year round where we were playing all winter long. And the club just keeps growing and growing with just people that walk by 
and either they're learning to play or they want to learn to play or they saw the show and they were interested and they just sit down. And it's just so cool because it's all ages. There's kids and there's there's seniors and they play side by side or against each other and then they can like help the language transfers to all these different generations and there's not very many things like that there's not very many things that you will transfer like that like chess has and not at all yeah and when i was in vegas uh, a couple weeks ago i i I got stopped constantly because people recognize me from like twitch and youtube and it was amazing to see the diversity of different types of people who would watch my content because when I stream on Twitch, I just see usernames, but it ranged from like really young kids to older adults in their 60s and 70s who have been just watching chess online and finding, uh, finding a new passion during the last year. So that's really cool to see. So do you think that there's a place for someone right now who's maybe listening to this and they enjoy chess for them to create a business around chess still? Can they still do that? There's definitely a lot of different types of of opportunities out there. And there's a lot of people who are like really good chess players, but don't necessarily have the the kind of business or entrepreneurial mindset. So I think there's a lot of people that have started chess companies where they're not even like experienced chess players but they're very they have another like really valuable skill like programming web design where they can apply that like maybe find a chess player to team up with to to start a company remember this was already maybe five six years ago but the way that chessable started which is one of the like top premier chess training websites is there's a, I think, programmer who reached out to one of the top chess YouTubers at the time, John Bartholomew. And originally, it was just the two of them who started this website. Like John helped be the chess consultant and did the marketing. And his co-founder built the site. Now it's, it was like recently... Yeah, it just like got bought by the Play Magnus, Magnus group. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think like we're just seeing the beginning of all these chess companies pop up. And yeah, it's cool to see what what will come next. What are some of the skills that you had that really helped you to form this business that you now have around chess? In college, I uh, I graduated from Webster University, and my major was interactive digital media, which maybe not the most mainstream major that people pursue. But what does that even was, mean? Yeah, so it encompassed a lot of emerging digital technologies from web design, social media, marketing, photography, video production, a blend of different things that I think also overlapped with entrepreneurship. That's like the perfect degree for what you've done. Yeah. And I, I had a, a couple like really good professors in college who helped like guide me on different like freelance projects. And some of my college projects weren't chess related, but the skills I acquired, I was able to later apply uh, kind of my own personal brand, like doing my own website. I design my own logo, do all my YouTube thumbnails, edit almost all my YouTube videos. To have a, a career in what I'm doing of of like being a, an online influencer, it requires wearing a lot of different hats and being able to do the back end like design and uh, web work but then also being the face of the the brand too and like doing the chess instructions so i'm uh, grateful that i I spent time learning new skills uh, in college and i I learned a lot of things from my courses but then a, a lot of things also just from watching like online videos like on youtube like if i'm interested in some concept I'll find uh, find resources to learn, especially in like photography and and design. Yeah, it helps to keep learning new skills and apply them to what I'm passionate about. And were there were any of those things that you were doing early on like really painful? You did you just didn't like doing it? Like you always put it off to the last minute, or you you just didn't want to do it? I, I can step back even a few more years. When I first started college, I actually started at University of Illinois, and my first major was math and computer science. And this was back during a time I wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life. 
and like I was decent at math and had some interest in like coding. Um, and after a couple of years, it became I lost the passion, and um, it became just more of a chore rather than something I was truly interested in. So thankfully, I I realized soon enough to pivot. Ended up not only switching majors but switching universities. Went to Webster University on a chess scholarship, and I was a type like I I get really interested in certain things, but then things I'm not interested in, I, I just try not to devote too much time towards. So uh, sometimes it's about being self-aware and then choosing my own path. Yeah. So you, you talked about the passion of doing the coding and the math, but one of my problems with businesses is I get really excited and I go head first into it and I learn and I learn. And just like you, I watch YouTube videos. I watch, I read books I listen to podcasts, I start doing experiments, and then I kind of realize, okay, I, I know enough about this to know enough now, and I move on to the next thing. So like, how do you, with, like, how do you keep that passion in this business? How do you keep finding ways to like, make it fun and continue it? Because it's a job now. I mean, you, it is, you've, ta- you've taken your passion and you've turned it into, I mean, a job's a bad word because I, I think of that as a bad word but it's a career let's say career instead and there's definitely risk when you combine your passion or hobby with your career because then it, you, you might at some point lose a passion or go through burnout where it becomes less fun and i've definitely gone through patches where like i'll get burnt out because i like i handle so many different different areas that it, it can take a lot of energy and sometimes it, you just need need a few days to take a break and uh, and recharge the great thing about streaming and doing like video content, especially in the, the realm of chess, is that every day is new and there, there's infinite ideas in terms of what I can play around with with content. I realized this pretty early when I like first started streaming on Twitch. Like, there's so many different kind of types of streams I can do, whether it's just like playing against people, sharing my thoughts, doing Q&As, running viewer tournaments, doing blindfold chess, doing chess variants. So a big part of what I do on streams is, is trying to like bring value to the viewers. But another part of it is doing what I'm passionate about too. And that's uh, it's thankfully like been, been sustainable. And I like Every time I stream, it's because I, I want to stream and I'm enjoying it. That's and great. On days where I, I feel tired or burnt out, I take a break, but then I'm, I'm usually able to come back. Just, what was the longest stretch in the last couple of years where you were in that needing to recharge phase? There's a website called Twitch Tracker, which will show my full, you, like, you plug in my username, IamRosen.com, or IamRosen, just on Twitch, and you'll see my whole stream history of all the days I streamed starting in, in I guess it was late 2017, twitchtracker.com slash IamRosen slash streams to get the calendar view. And it looks like the longest stretch was almost exactly a year ago. It was July, like late June, early July. And I do have an explanation for why I, I, I took like a week and a half break from streaming. Is I was asked to write the cover story for Chess Life magazine on the whole like Twitch chess boom. And that, that just took my focus for about a couple of weeks. So, so. We, we're blaming uh, the Chess Life mag, the US Chess magazine, your lost week there. <laughs> there was a lot of, there was an online tournament, I'm pretty sure, at that time with Nakamura and Magnus. And around that same time frame as well. I feel like that was like when it really started to explode. It was like right then. like Mid-2020, basically May through July, because there is a Hikaru Magnus, like the Magnus tour. They played in the finals, and they were like the kind of two rivals. They were trash-talking on social media. And then there was also PogChamps, I think around June, which was a big focus of the article that I wrote with a lot of the top mainstream streamers on Twitch, like XQC, Ludwig. It's people who are not chess players, but they're passionate about playing and they have millions of followers. So they, um, they all compete against each other in, in the tournament. 
and it just brought so many more people into the game. And I think they, they broke so many records for like, concurrent viewership. I'll put a link to your article, which I enjoyed, sure. and also to your tracker in the show notes for this episode, which will awesome. be over at quandall.com slash Rosen. That's quandall.com slash Rosen, R-O-S-E-N. And I'll put everything that we're, we're talking about in there and maybe even a link to your, are you drinking a tea right now? Oh, I'm drinking a tea that was sent to me from a fan. It's like a French, it's nice, like French kind of fruity black tea. I'm drinking from my, my merch mug. Yeah, I like that. Treat every blunder as a gambit. <laughs> as a gambit, yeah. <laughs> and then you're wearing, and for the sense of audio only, he's wearing an yeah. Oh No My Queen a shirt, which is, became classic Eric Rosen terminology online. And I would be curious if someone out there had tracked the number of times that that has worked, the Oh No My Queen trick. I think they're catching on. There's so many different situations where you, you can a- attempt this trick. And sometimes it's just a blunder where you blunder your queen. But it's turned into kind of a, an internet meme, which I'm happy to embody. And yeah, people, if you want to leave my merch store, it's shop.iamrosen.com. Yeah, so, for sure. Yeah, yeah the, um, I need to get some uh, Rosen gear. and uh, I'll send you a mug and, and a shirt, yeah. I'll give you like a a coupon code. Yeah, I'll wear them. All, I'll wear yeah. them to the the chess club, and I'll finally be cool at my chess club. And they'll say, "Wait, oh, Eric Rosen." <laughs> uh, <laughs> but what? So what are the the? Like it's from the outside. It's like, okay. You're you have a business around a passion, and you already alluded to the fact that that's always a risk because you risk ruining your passion and. Um, which you hear about artists doing that all the time with painting or drawing or music where they start performing or selling and then the commercialization of it for some reason takes away some of the the enjoyment and so then they go maybe 30 or 40 years and they don't do it again and they pick it up again when they're retired or something and for your business what are some of the the cons like what are some of the things that like would maybe surprise someone from the outside a big challenge, and it, it can be a pro and a con, is the fact that I'm I'm basically my own boss. So I, it's completely up to me to decide my my schedule, my routine, um, as opposed to having like a mainstream job. Like you work nine to five, you get to relax in the evening. My work is just nonstop, and there's definitely been growing pains where especially as the audience has grown, there's just been more requests, more, just more messages across dozens of different platforms, which it's hard to respond to everything, uh, especially these days. And it, it can be very easy to just turn into a workaholic and, and get overwhelmed and then burnt out. I've tried to, to deal with this over the last uh, few years as things have grown, but it's one of those things that sometimes you don't, necessarily realize like going into a endeavor like this where not only do you have to manage like all of the different types of work but then you have to take a step back and and figure out like the balance between your work and your personal life and set boundaries and maintain maintain a reasonable schedule while focusing on like health diet exercise so it's a constant juggling act but again i'm super grateful to be in a spot where I, I do have kind of flexibility and freedom. And I've, I've had to learn how to say no more often just because there's uh, too, like if I said yes to, any, to everything, that would be just even more difficult to deal with things. But it's a constant learning process. Has that, has that been hard for you to, to say no to opportunities and requests? Yeah, I think it's it gets easier over time. And I, I think I've struggled with trying to, to try and just satisfy everyone, be super nice. And the problem is when you say yes to everything, just things accumulate. Sometimes things will require more effort and energy than originally expected. Like one of the things I've made a big change to over the last few years is how I handle private coaching. Mm-hmm. It's something I, I get requests for on a daily basis is people wanting one-on-one lessons. But for me, it, it's hard to do the private lessons because they take energy to prepare 
do the lesson and I get tired afterwards. And there's been a lot more reward and fulfillment with doing the more scalable, like live stream content, doing video lessons, which then are available for everyone. It does take some level of kind of reflection and ask myself, what is bringing me the most value and what do I enjoy the most? I still give some occasional private lessons, but it's one of the things I've, I've had to cut back on over the years. Yeah. Yeah. When we first met a couple of years ago, that was one of your primary things you were doing was one-on-one mm-hmm. lessons. And I remember you had a wait list and it was growing and growing. And I, I kept encouraging you, you know, the, there's this <laughs> kind of rule as if demand, you, if you have only limited, limited supply, but you have too much demand, you have to keep increasing the price. It's hard when to switch gears when you and like reflect and realize that part of the old way you did business necessarily isn't scalable now with the other opportunities that are in front of you. But do you do you schedule time for self reflection? Like how often do you do that? I think it happens more when I have a free day. Usually a few times a week when when I'm here in St. Louis my home base these days, I'm able to take like long walks. That's when I'll just tune into some nice music and then have a a several mile walk where I'll I'll try and self-reflect. But I don't schedule it ahead of time because every day is different. It's hard to to plan in advance sometimes, but it is something that kind of comes naturally where I'll try and take a step back and see things from a big picture. Mm -hmm. So what... How do you imagine the next couple of years looking for you or changing? This past year and a half has been so weird just with not being able to travel, being hunkered down in St. Louis, just basically dedicating most of my energy to just Twitch and YouTube and just live streaming chess. So I think the biggest change will be my ability to travel to more like in-person events, um, play like international events, maybe do in-person meetups. And I'm, I'm only beginning to experience that with, um, especially the last month or so I was in Vegas for this national open tournament, did a few like family trips. So it'd be nice to be on the road and kind of have a flexible travel schedule while still trying to keep up. How will you do that? That I can't, I feel like it was probably easier to manage your business when you weren't doing the travel in this last year. So how will you do them together both at the same time? I, so I graduated back in 2017 and basically from 2017 through 2019, I, I was living pretty nomadically. Like I, I took a lot of international trips where I was on the road for months at a time. This was back when I was teaching more, but I was able to still kind of keep up with with online coaching, this was back when I was getting into streaming too. I know it's possible where I basically, I'm, I'm on the road. So it's like part vacation, but still part work. And a lot of it is just having the right kind of technical setup, like traveling with good laptop, microphone, uh, camera. And I've been testing things out over last month. And it's tougher because when you're in new location you don't want to necessarily focus so much on work yeah well yeah you've got this potentially beautiful place that you are at and Mm -hmm. i wonder if there's a way you could change it up a little bit when you're traveling where maybe you different ideas together so like you you go to a park you have a cameraman they're putting that on twitch but then it's also like a meetup where people that are followers or subscribers on youtube and if you're not uh subscribed to eric rosen's chess channel on youtube you definitely should do it i'll put the the link to the uh channel in the notes but like you do what you announce on meetup you're going to be in in berlin this date meet here you set up the camera person who's there and you like stream it you do a meetup and you get youtube content all together and like you don't have to be in your hotel room when you're in this beautiful place in Berlin, like you could be out in some public park somewhere. Exactly. And, and this is the dream scenario. It, it's, it would require a, a different type of process, um, doing more what we call IRL in real life content. That would be very interesting and very different for the online audience compared to what I've been doing. Is like anyone streaming. doing anything even close to that? 
So within the last week, there are a couple of videos from the the Botez sisters on YouTube of them just playing some over-the-board games outside. And it was just them kind of trash-talking and and playing speed chess. So they, a crowd formed, and it was super cool to watch. And they were mic'd up. It was very good quality. And it's a type of thing. I think we're, we're going to see more chess content creators do over the, the coming months and probably years as it's easier. Like I think the, the biggest hurdle for a lot of people is the technical setup. You want to find a reliable camera person, have to do more editing. Um, and from the viewer point of view, like a lot of people watch chess online to learn in addition to kind of entertainment. Like these sort of videos, and Botez did this on their video, where they're playing a chess game, but on the top, there's a diagram of the chessboard so you can follow what's going on if you really want to like analyze the, the position more clearly. So it's like the world championship where they have the live feed going yep. and then they also have the boards. And I mean, when Fabiano and Magnus were in the last world championship, I just had that up on my computer all day. Mm. I was just like, I was not that productive during that that time period because it was just so entertaining like they you could you could see them like get up from the table and like how their movement was and how they were feeling what their face looked like it added like a whole nother element there i thought that was so cool i'm gonna i'm gonna check out what the uh, the botez sisters did because that's pretty cool and yeah i think there's so many different like content ideas like, i want to go to the, the washington square park in new york and film myself like battling the hustlers. Have you and, seen? Um, I think it was Maurice Ashley and Tim Ferriss did yep. some videos there. It's on, yeah, probably the. It's one of the most popular chess videos on YouTube. I think it was filmed as part of the Tim Ferriss experiment, like TV show, but then it it just wound up as its own clip on Maurice Ashley's YouTube channel, as just him showing up in the park beating some hustler, and it was some great trash talk. I think the video has five to seven million views yeah if someone can figure that out and on uh, and how to repeat it in different cities i think it could be it could be a really big thing and those cities would want to get involved too because i think at least like within my community people didn't know we had a chess club until we were in the park so mm -hmm. there is a lot of people who are at home now because of the queen's gambit and they're learning and chess is definitely a social game like online has helped to make it so more people can play, but you really want to play against the same people on the board uh, multiple times, multiple weeks, multiple months for years to get a lot better. If you just keep playing against random people all the time, it's harder to improve versus playing versus a set of people. At least that's how I found it to be because like, it's that motivation of, I'm going to see this person again next week and I don't want to lose to them the same way I did last week. I need to get mm -hmm. better. And you don't have that online. Like I, I play maybe 10 games a day online and very rarely do I get a repeat person at, at my chess level. There's just so many people at the, the 1500 to 1600 rating where I just, there's an endless supply of new people to play against, but that would be cool if you could pull that off. So any cool places that you are really excited about traveling to in the next year or two? Uh, I'm going to Russia next week for the world cup chess event that's so cool it's one of the biggest events of the year and I, i'm not going as a player like i'm not good enough to qualify it's like invitational only but i'm going to be one of the official photographers for the event photography is another area that i've been very into over the years so it's gonna be super cool to kind of have front uh, front seat access to the top players in the world most of the big names will be there, like Magnus Carlsen, MVL, Fabiano, Caruana. I think it's in so many different countries are represented and it's a knockout event. So it's going to take take place over the course of the, the coming month. We'll finish up in, in early August. So I'm hoping to not only take some really nice photos there, but do some content about the actual chess and get to, to meet some of the top players uh, in the world. Are you going to do any interviews with some of the players too while you're there? Maybe not so much like official interview, but I'm sure I'm going to be streaming from my hotel room. So I'll try and bring in 
and some special guests. And during events like this, because it's so long and there, there's a few rest days, I'm sure there will be like sports outings. Like a lot of players are like tennis players or they play soccer, football if you're European. So I think there's going to be opportunities to just play sports with these guys and end up making some video content out of that as well. That sounds like it will be a lot of fun. A, a lot of fun, and mm-hmm. that kind of brings the the football, soccer slash tennis. It seems that's sort of a trend in the chess community that there's a lot of people that play those sports. You talked at the beginning of the interview about endurance in an event and good sleep quality and um, taking naps and being mentally prepared and having a growth mindset, and so you don't beat yourself up after win after losses and you don't celebrate wins you just kind of stay stable but the 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 physical aspects of being at the top of at that level those folks there in Russia are you seeing these folks are training in the same way like physically as they are mentally with chess like are they do they have personal trainers do they have chefs do they have like supplement protocols what's it look like at a really high level it definitely depends on the player I mean, someone like Magnus Carlsen, he's like super athletic, super in shape. Tell you a story back in 2015. It was the first week I was at Webster as like a, a transfer student. The same week as a Sinkfield Cup was going on, like one of the premier tournaments in St. Louis. And Magnus was in town playing. Like he had a five-hour game against Wesley. And then right after his game, he came to visit Webster University and just played soccer for a couple hours with our chess team. And I remember being super impressed because like he he was running nonstop and just did not appear to get tired. And this was after just a grueling, grueling chess game. Um, he was definitely like the most fit athletic person on the field. And then the next day he actually visited and played basketball with us. He's one of those people that definitely, I think, puts more emphasis on the physical side. Um, and focuses on stamina and just enjoys a lot of sports too. And I think it shows in his games because he has this like long grinding style where he's completely okay having a very, very small advantage, but he'll try and grind out over, over several hours. And I think that's one of the reasons why he's able to, to crack a lot of top players is just having that kind of next level of energy in like the sixth hour of a, a game. Um, as far as like having teams, like most of the players will have teams of seconds that will help them with opening preparation. And this is one of the main things that like super grandmasters will focus on is their opening repertoire, especially with the emergence of, of computers these days. They'll try and scout out like the, like, opening novelties and the tendencies and weaknesses of their opponents. I would imagine that some of like the very top players will have, I don't know, like a personal chef, but they'll take measures to make sure like all their necessities and beyond are met. Um, I know when Fabiano was training for and then competed in the world championship in 2018 against Magnus, he just went off to like training camp for a month beforehand and he he got into a lot of sports and there's another grandmaster christian carilla that would like do like daily exercises with him and the rest of the team so it's definitely uh an area that the the very top players will take seriously it's also an area that maybe some players don't take seriously enough that if they were to focus on, they could improve even more 100% for sure yeah if you have a good foundation what let's say breath work, meditation, and spiritual practices, and good sleep habits, and good nutrition, and you drink a lot of water, and those are just like the basics of any athlete. That's like athlete, maybe one hundred one. You you need to have all of those practices, and I haven't at the I haven't found that at the chess club and the tournaments that I've gone to where it's been more like vending machine food, monster energy, that kind of that kind of deal and it's surprising cuz it's it's 
I, I asked at the beginning if you considered it ath- like a sport and if you considered chess players athletes, and I say yes to both. It's 100%. It, it's unbelievable. Like you, this, you can be sweating harder than if you were outside running. It just from the pressure of whatever you're doing, the, the, your brain can just be melting with just processing of information. And a lot of times there's lights and there's people watching and there's all these distractions all around you. It is absolutely, I would say, just if at a tennis match, like if uh, Nadal and Federer were across from each other, it's very similar. They're just battling with pieces on a board. Yeah, it's, I would love to see that evolve over the next few years with like more, maybe that's a space for someone listening of a potential business. If you're like a nutritionist or a personal trainer, it it sounds like there could be an opportunity at at the professional level for like some coaching of creating like plans and habits uh, around some of these people. So it could be a good business opportunity if you have an interest in chess and you also have those skills. That that actually reminds me, uh, one of my good friends and fellow content creator, Levy Rosman, goes by Gotham Chess on YouTube, has over a million subscribers, one of the most popular chess content creators. He was talking about in a recent video how like he's very motivated to get back into competitive chess after making his comeback uh, also in Vegas uh, recently. And he was talking about what he's planning to do to to work on his game. And one of the things was hiring a sports psychologist. Oh, cool. It's something that most chess players don't even consider, but they could definitely offer a, a different perspective and focus on things that maybe you wouldn't otherwise consider. I don't know if you knew this, but one of your former students... James Altucher. James, yeah. He was just uh-huh. on the Perpetual Chess Podcast this last week. I started listening to it. I, I didn't finish the whole interview, but it was great to see him interviewed. He announced on that podcast that he is going to go back into tournament play. Making a comeback. Yeah, I heard like later this month, like later July. Potentially, yeah. He said potentially in Atlanta, depending on some things that could come up. So I think like... This we're gonna. I'm gonna continue to call it the Queen's Gambit effect. Is bringing people back, like it's bringing back mm-hmm. the excitement of all ages of people. I just am fascinated with the adult learner uh, series that he does on the Perpetual Chess Podcast because mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated with learning and whether it be chess or tennis or music or any type of learning. Like you can distill some of the this the habits and the practices. And that interview was just full of fantastic takeaways from someone who I consider a very good, like James Oucher is very good at learning new skills. Now he's like applying that to chess. He's skipping the line. That's his latest book, which if mm-hmm. you uh, are listening to this and you haven't picked it up yet, definitely check it out. And I wrote a review of that over at quandall.com slash skip the line. He's using those tricks to like get back into fighting shape in chess, which is like unheard of. If you don't play for a long time, like to go back into tournaments, like a lot, he's a national master. So like he goes back in, he could go underrated then. Like that's always a risk. So, so many people just, they're like, oh, I just don't, I retired. I don't go to tournaments anymore. That's right. Yeah. He's like right above 2200. So you don't want to risk losing that. But I think that this is a very like similar story to so many people that have been playing chess online. They either have gone back into it recently after taking a long break, like James. There's so many people who I met in Vegas who like this is their first tournament in many years. And then there's a, a different segment of people that they they've got interested over the last year have played online, but haven't had that over-the-board experience. And there's a whole different dynamic between just playing on LeeChess or Chess.com and actually sitting across from your opponent and playing in a tournament when there's more pressure, you have to move the physical pieces. So it can be some level of culture shock. When you throw yourself into kind of new environment, then there's so much opportunity for growth. And it's important for James and for so many other people not to be too fixated on rating and just take even the competition as a learning experience to, to keep improving. Do you think there's a ceiling that you can get to as a, someone who's just starting out now, they're 30 years old, they know, they, maybe they learned how to move the pieces when they were 10, but they didn't really play. Is there, how good could they get realistically? 
Yeah, this is a common question. And it's hard. It's a hard one to answer because everyone's different and everyone may have like their own. I don't want to say everyone will have their own ceiling because a lot of it, it it can just be undefined. It depends how much you're willing to work and, and be persistent at it. I believe like even if you're 30 or 40, there's always room to improve as long as you're taking kind of the appropriate steps and you have the right thought pro- or the right mindset and thought process kind of going into it with a focus on learning. Of course, it's easier to learn and improve more rapidly when you're younger. Like kids, a lot of kids don't realize it, but they have such a big advantage over the rest of older adults because their brains are just more malleable that have more what is the term neuroplasticity and that's not only not only with chess but languages all other kind of areas where you can learn things it definitely takes more effort i think we we've seen a lot of examples of older players still improving there is a a recent story on chess.com there is an 80 year old who finally got his fm title oh how cool uh, is that I forget which country it was from, but it was a pretty recent story. I think Andres Toth, who is huh. one of my favorite chess educators, is what I would call it, maybe. I, I seem to remember him saying once he felt like anyone could get to a FIDE master level. That's if they'd put the effort in that it required. Basically, that there wasn't, he didn't feel like there was a ceiling on where you could get as much as there was a ceiling on how much effort most adults are going to be willing or able to put in three, four hours a day or more every day of the week for years. And a lot of those, uh, for, for many months, sometimes you won't actually see any improvement of your like rating. Your rating you may right. not see for 10 months something actually start to stick. And most adults, like myself, would give up b- before that. And they would just go back to playing bullet chess casually or and give up on the studying. So uh. this is very normal is rating does not always directly correlate with your overall level. Like you, you can be improving at chess, but then can take months or years for your rating to actually catch up and reflect that. And this was the case for me. Like when I was when I first reached 2400. I plateaued for four years, even though I was still studying and um, and playing a lot. My rating just stagnated. After about four years, I played a couple events and just spiked 100 points. The result of my four years of kind of persistence, but it's the gradual process and you, you can't become too attached to rating because, yeah, it doesn't always reflect your like your current level and ratings fluctuate depending on on so many different factors could you see yourself getting to that level of seriousness again where like how like training at that level i'll go through phases where i'll like i'll get very serious into studying and training but it's usually when i have something exactly to train for if i have an online match for example when i had this uh, the speech chess championship first it was against uh, International Master Sagra Shah, and then against Levi Rosman. I spent many hours each day leading up to the event, doing very extensive opening preparation, tactical training, um, building out my repertoire, getting getting comfortable with the time controls. So those, I think, like having having meaningful competitions to prepare for, are what mo- motivate me the most. It's something which I still aspire to do, probably. Going forward, it will be more over the board. Now, on the flip side, when I don't have like anything coming up for a month and I'm busy with maybe other responsibilities, I, I won't train as much, but I'll still try and stay involved. And there's different types of study. Like some of it can be very hardcore, where you're you're doing like exercises and building your repertoire. But some of it can just be like watching like games of top players and seeing what like new ideas are out there, listening to commentary. There's a lot of both active and passive ways of studying chess. And sometimes it's just finding the right balance and, and also like doing things which like, which kind of spark my passion. Cause I think that's the most important yeah. thing is that I stay interested and don't get burnt out. Yeah. And for, if you're listening to this and I don't think Eric and I initially intended for this to end up being an entire episode of chess, mm. I was hoping to give <laughs> him a break from some chess. Cause I know 
he's involved in the chess world all the time. But if you're listening to this and you're going, oh, I want to learn a little bit more about chess, chess.com and Lee Chess, I'm very familiar with their learn chess features. They're very good. And then the Perpetual Chess Podcast, if you like this podcast, I'm sure you'll love that podcast. It has a, a section on there called the the what is it? Adult improvers. Adult improver. Right. And they're fascinating. And they're yep. full of he does such a great job of finding specific actionable tactics that these adults are using to improve. And so many of them have helped me just try new things and experiment and find what is motivating for me to learn. But so what's next for you? What what's on the what's on the radar non-chess related? What, what anything interesting that you're working on? Ooh, non-chess. That's a curveball question. Yeah, sorry. Uh, I just had like a few non-chess things over this last week. So I I was a uh, a groomsman at my like one of my best friends' weddings oh, that's uh, awesome. this past weekend. Congrats. So, that's cool. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, it was uh, it was really cool. It was an Indian wedding. He's actually a chess master I grew up with, uh, known since I was eight years old. And they had like a, a dance party on Thursday and then a wedding celebration on Saturday. And then on Friday, one of my other best friends proposed and had me be the photographer. Oh, cool. I was like a full day thing where his soon-to-be fiance thought we were just going on a photo shoot like around the city. That, um, oh, I guarantee she knew. It was her idea to do the photo shoot because oh. I was in town and had my nice well, camera. Well, then, then so she maybe she didn't was not know. expecting it. That's, I always find that fascinating about, I feel like the woman always knows when it's coming. And, but somehow my wife had no clue. I must've thrown her off the scent so hard that she... Had uh -huh. no idea that it was coming, but so, so she was surprised. She had maybe a, a vague sense because, like, they they were wearing nice clothes, and she, she asked him, and he, he said no, and like he he said he didn't have a ring, which was honest. Uh, like he didn't it. have a ring on him. I didn't have it. What he did was he flew, like he he got her entire family to fly in from the East Coast to be in Chicago, and they were all hiding at this meeting point on the Chicago River, like really very nice sights. I think the the youngest kid in her family had the ring. So when we reached this kind of point, it was right on the the water. They set up rose petals and then the kid brought the ring and her, like 20 people in her family were there to, to see the proposal. And then they had a nice kind of venue rented out for for dinner afterwards. Be awesome. It's those kinds of things that are some of the things I feel like you remember and look forward to those types of events the most, like being a part of a friend's engagement or wedding or definitely. Um, yeah. And especially to have two, two of my best friends, like, like back to back days, it was super cool. And it's something like both, I think both of those had to be like pushed back just because this whole last year has been crazy with, with not being able to see people as often as you'd like. So made me more grateful to uh, be hanging out with people in real life. Forgot how to socialize in person. I feel like I've been like so awkward when I go and like out. Sure. Just, I don't know. I forgot how to be normal. Like I'm naturally introverted, but my main way of like socializing recently has just been talking to the Twitch stream. So sitting in my front, in my computer and just interacting with the Twitch chat, talking through my moves and in a chess game so it's a different type of social interaction that i have to get used to more is like seeing people in real life and there's definitely some differences but it helps it helps when i'm like the photographer because i can just snap pictures and yeah you're, you're um, behind the camera you're seeing. exactly yeah just uh that's really cool i think this is a a good place to wrap up but what would you where can we learn more about you Where's, where should we go? The two biggest platforms I'm most active on are Twitch and YouTube. So uh, twitch.tv slash IamRosen. People can catch my live streams. If you follow me, you'll get notified when I go live. I stream usually a handful of times per week. I try and be engaging with the chat. And 
then on YouTube, I, I do videos too. And I have other platforms. Twitter is I am underscore Rosen. My Instagram is Eric Rosen Photography. So there's a bunch of places people can see my work online. That's great. Do you have a chess book that's going to be coming out? Ooh, not a chess book. I've been more focused on, on, on the video content. Maybe a chess course. It's something that's already always been on my radar. But I guess for now, like short term, it's going to be more chess videos and, and live streams. Yeah. I appreciate all of your videos and your live streams. I've been following along in, in the chat as a, a troll there in the chat for a long time. And yeah, I was trying to think like when, like when I made you a mod, cause you, you were probably one of the first mods on my channel. Yeah. That's... Under my secret alias that nobody in the real world, except <laughs> I, I won't say your username, you and a couple other people know about, but That's no, it, it has been a while. And I just loved how it was clear that you were just doing it for fun you know i mean mm -hmm. i that's why i wanted to talk about like the business of creating a career around your passion because to me it from the outside it's you just were doing what you like to do and then it just grew and grew out of the authentic off like your authentic self and how genuine you are and it's just always so much fun to just hang out in the chat and there's a community and it's not just about chess people are talking about tea they're talking about tennis they're talking about all kinds of crazy stuff in there. So a lot of other interests. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just appreciate you've kept me engaged in chess over these years and I've learned a lot and uh, I just appreciate it. And, and this is just a thank you from me, from your Twitch audience as uh, for everything you do. Oh, well, thanks so much. Uh, that's all really nice to hear. <laughs>